Welcome to Enlightenedhood, a sacred space for mothers, mothers to be, and mothers by proxy to share how mindfulness and spirituality intertwine with one of life's biggest responsibilities, motherhood. Each week, we will gather nuggets of inspiration, empowerment, and wisdom from wild and woke mamas who are tapped into their highest selves and raising the next generation along with the consciousness of this planet. I'm your host, Lena Lemos, founder of Enlightenedhood, a community of mindful and spiritual mamas committed to personal growth and divine sisterhood through our one-of-a-kind inner work membership and spiritual magazine. Welcome. I am so grateful that you're here. Hello, you mindful mamas. How is everyone doing? I feel like I asked this question a lot at the beginning of this intro, but now more than ever, the collective energy is just so heavy, but also invigorating because there is immense change happening right now. I don't know if any of you follow a lot of the astrology accounts on Instagram, but the alignment of the planets and how the trans, I don't know the correct terms for all of this, but the way they are, are just correlate with past profound moments in our history. And it's almost like we, it shows in the stars how much of a turning point this time is. And last week I didn't put out this podcast because we took the week to just kind of take a step back because It didn't feel right to continue as normal, but it also didn't feel right to say nothing. And I think we're all dealing with this time. We're all going through this time in our own way. We're all doing our own education and shifts and inner work. And that looks different for everyone. And we were trying to figure out what that looks like for us. How do we show up as the best humans possible to lead a conscious brand and company that serves mothers? to do this inner work and to grow spiritually and to help create this new world where everyone is equal. And I just feel more called than ever to do this work and to serve and to create real change. But that starts with us. That starts on the inside in doing the inner work. My guest today is just... Listening back to this conversation, it is just so timely more than ever. And I know that what Lisa has to say, just please listen, because I was listening back when I was editing. I was like, oh my gosh, if there aren't more true, wise, light-filled words for what we're going through right now and what we're experiencing and how we're all transforming internally. This is it. So my guest today is Lisa Headley. Lisa is a personal development advisor who teaches integration of the body, mind, and spirit for self-actualization. Her holistic approach is based on her own life experiences, which you'll hear a lot more about with healing on all levels, as well as education in fine arts, philosophy, transformative learning, and ashtanga and therapeutics yoga. Lisa provides psycho-spiritual counseling with an emphasis on ego dissolution, lifestyle revitalization, and advocacy for her clients so they can actualize their most embodied, joyful, higher self. 
Lisa believes that to live a conscious and empowered life is to embrace and love our wholeness, illuminate our inner wisdom, and foster meaning by serving a larger, more fulfilling purpose. Today, Lisa is sharing her story of how she grew up with two very different parents. Her mother was very ethereal and spiritual and was her greatest spiritual teacher, and her father was very grounded in a three-dimensional world, very Western approach. And her battle with that and how she came full circle to incorporate both of those things in her practice and in her role as a teacher. Through sharing her story, her words, again, like I said, I know they're going to resonate with you and it's just such beautiful lessons for what we're all going through and experiencing right now. So without further ado, here's Lisa. So I had a thought yesterday on my walk that I thought was the perfect way to begin this podcast and you sharing your story because it kind of, I, it was just kind of perfectly aligned with talking with you that I was thinking the more I go down this rabbit hole of spirituality and going within and kind of almost living in this altered state of consciousness when I'm meditating and learning more about who I really am, I find it harder and harder to come back to this world and to this present moment. And I can only imagine as my daughter gets older and starts to live in the structures and the paradigms we have of school and all those things that that's going to become harder. And I think it's also an important lesson for us mothers who are spiritual and going down this hole to be conscious of that. And I know that's something that you had to deal with of having a very spiritual mother and kind of having to figure out and navigate how she presented herself, what she was trying to teach you, whether or not it was true, whether or not it resonated with you. So as the child of a very spiritual mother, what was that like growing up, especially having a father who was very much in the 3D Western world? I have realized that our human task really is to balance the spiritual and the material worlds, right? So I was born into a dynamic that sort of made the contrast of those two things extreme for me. My father's Western scientific approach as a doctor to my mother, you know, in opposition to my mother's very spiritual, out of body, ethereal dynamic was a challenge. She, She was very out of her body. My mother spent a lot of time meditating. She was not particularly grounded. And my father was only grounded. He he didn't have aspirations towards esoteric ideas and that sort of thing. So they were, they could not have been more different. And I could not have imagined trying to balance that reality had they stayed together, which they did not. They divorced when I was nine. I don't see that they could have successfully made their marriage last. I think it was very much an opposites attract type of situation when they got together. But I was born with spiritual inclinations and I had a hard time reconciling my mother's way of being spiritual. To me, she felt very, she was just gone. It was like 
you get your moments of clarity with her and connection, but she was always happiest off in meditation. She was always happiest when she didn't really have to think about having a body. And I couldn't really gel with that. But at the same time, I couldn't really gel with, we're only a body, it's only free will. And how, how do I reconcile these two people? How do I reconcile that these two people are my parents and they have such vastly different approaches to life and very different values? So especially after they got divorced, I felt like I was straddling a fence, right? I had a foot in two different realities that were so vastly different from each other that I didn't know how to cope with that. And as a, as a young child, that was very difficult for me. I struggled with a lot of emotional trauma around, now I'm gonna be at mom's and it's gonna be this way. And now I'm gonna be at dad's and it's gonna be this way. And neither of those things made sense to me entirely. I couldn't just be like my mother and I couldn't just be like my dad and be comfortable in my own skin. And it took a long time. I, I started to explore spirituality as a teenager more and more because I was trying to find ways to relate to my mother. My issue largely around her spirituality was that I found it lacked a, an intellectual rigor that I just could not let go of. Everything seemed so woo-woo for lack of a better term. You know, it was, it was too much about crystals and meditation. And um, I kept thinking, but we don't all have the luxury of sitting in a cave or an ashram and chanting and meditating all day. Some of us have to live in the real world. And how do you do that? How do you reconcile the fact that most of us, the vast majority of us don't have the privilege of separating ourselves from a, a real third dimensional reality, especially since there were a lot of benefits to the third dimensional reality, right? I'm not gonna lie, there were things that I really enjoyed about my dad's life, good food and art and, and travel. And there were things that, that I really benefited from. And I thought, well, can I have both? That was, that was me being greedy, I suppose. But the more I started to delve into spiritual texts and the more I started to pursue sort of an, a reconciliation within myself and an integration of these things, the more I started to realize that, wait a minute, spirituality is not disembodied. In fact, the future of spirituality, spirituality that's going to catch a hold and entice the vast majority of the population is going to be a balance of the spiritual and material. It's going to be us feeling into what it means to be spiritual as a human being. How do you bring spiritual principles into an everyday reality, right? So my parents taught me a lot. Obviously the work was mine to find the integration of those two things, but I didn't necessarily always see them at odds with each other. The more I started to grow in my own spirituality and the more I started to pursue in intellectual outlets through spirituality, right? I started to find spirituality in physics and modern physics. And I started to find spirituality in Jungian psychology. Then I started to find the intellectual rigor of the spiritual practice that I had felt was missing from my mother's spirituality. Hmm. So 
at what, how old were you when you kind of figured out that those two things are kind of beautifully intertwined? I was about, I was 23. So I had finished college and sort of disastrous end to college. I didn't have a plan and I had sort of a hope and a prayer about what I was going to do after I finished school. And it all kind of fell apart. It was bad timing economically. And I didn't really have a sense of direction in terms of where I wanted to live. I knew I didn't want to live where I had gone to college. So things were very up in the air. And my mother at the time had been living in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And she invited me to come and live there for a while. She said, come and you know, if you wanted to work ski patrol and spend six months figuring out how to uh, move forward with your life, I, I will support you. And a few days after I moved to Santa Fe, I, was, I took a drive into the Sangre de Cristo Mountains and I had an encounter with a stranger who I believe was one of my guardian angels. And I judged him in my own mind. I had a derogatory thought about him and he turned and he faced me as I took a slow curve with my open window. He shouted, fix your broken heart. And it just, it penetrated, right? It penetrated to the deepest part of my being. I spent the rest of the drive up the hill thinking, was my heart broken? Did I have a broken heart? I knew I had judged him and I already felt bad about that because I'm so sensitive to other people's feelings that I couldn't really believe that I had judged him, but he knew that my judgment came from a place of, of deep wounding within myself. And the fact that a stranger could have such an impact in just a few seconds, the exchange lasted just a few seconds. I was deeply and profoundly touched. And that was the moment that I was all in, all in committed to this journey, this spirituality, digging in, starting to integrate. And I just asked to be shown. I, I knew that if he could be a sign that there would be many more. So in the, the few days that followed after that, that trip, I was, uh, or after that drive up the hill, I was at a garage sale. And there was a pile of books and I'm always a sucker for the books. So I was looking through the books and I found a book by physicist Fritjof Capra called The Tao of Physics. And I'd never heard of him and I'd never heard of this book before. It was like 50 cents. So I bought the book because it looked really intriguing. It said something like balancing Taoism or Eastern philosophy and Western science. And I thought, oh, wow, that, that kind of rings a bell with me, given my parents. <laughs> and I read the book and it did everything that it promised. It really was a, a way of, it was a cohesive approach to Eastern philosophy and Western science and how those two things complement each other. They're not contraries. These two things are very much um, different sides of the same coin. and it it shifted everything for me. It didn't seem so outside the realm of possibility that, that my parents were onto something, each of them in their own ways, and that my life moving forward was about bringing everything that they had each taught me into myself so that I could subsequently teach others. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Was it around that time that you realized that perhaps you had a calling or a purpose to now turn around and help others who were kind of struggling with, I don't like finding identity and going inward and the idea of spirituality in a modern life? It took longer. It took longer for me, I think, because at that point, I still was watching my mother as a spiritual teacher. And I had a lot of resistance to to following in her footsteps that way, even though she had been grooming me from the earliest time I can possibly remember to be a teacher and to follow in her footsteps. I, I saw the toll that being a teacher took on her. She could transmit Shakti to people in a way that would leave her bedridden for days afterwards. And I thought, no, I do not want this for myself. I, I don't want to spend my life in this sort of up and down extreme of moments of vitality and then moments of debilitation that was not appealing to me. And I did eventually get to a point where I figured out how to, to do that without having the fallout that my mother did. But a, a lot of that is, is getting into the embodied aspect of spirituality, right? She didn't like to exercise and at times couldn't necessarily take such good care of her body with a healthy diet. And she was prone to meditating rather than sleeping. So I saw the consequences of all that and I took them very seriously. So when I was 28, two things that were very important happened for me. First, I went to Egypt and I had my first transcendental peak experience. During that experience, I made a commitment to be a teacher. It was so mind blowing. And the the effects of that were so profound. I spent about three weeks just being completely open and in the embrace of the divine, right? So I, I knew that that was what I wanted to carry forward. And I knew given how it had made me feel that I wanted to I wanted to help other people find it too. But after that journey, I had been um, sort of toying with yoga somewhat. I had been a hiker for a number of years and really working on how do I get into the embodied, healthy state that I could hold space for others. Um, And I took up yoga shortly before the Egypt trip and was kind of dabbling with it. I didn't take it all that seriously. But during the Egypt trip, I realized that I wanted to be able to come back to that meditative state. And I had a really hard time quieting my mind. So I thought, well, you find practices that are moving meditations, right? um, Yoga is definitely a moving meditation. Hiking had been that for me somewhat but I wanted to take it to a next level where I could find a way to be in my body and very quiet in my body. And the yoga did that. I don't, I can't tell you how many years of practice it took for me to get quiet enough to sit on a meditation cushion. It was a long time, but what yoga gave me was that embodied spirituality you know, it gave me this vitality and inner strength, and it gave me health in a way that I could start to see myself being a teacher. So I, I had to take it to that step. Uh, that was not something my mother, my mother taught me. I think you make such a, 
an important point that, like I was saying in the beginning, there's almost, you can lose yourself too much. Like there is a spectrum. And in order to be grounded, in order to show up in the best way to serve others, whether it's just our children or our family members, there is a certain responsibility within us to take care of ourselves. Yes. Even if that means slightly living more in this 3D grounded version of ourselves. I think, I think we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves, to be honest with you. I see that we have been tasked with this human experience. And part of that task is I have a body and this body is my vehicle for creating my gifts, right? This is how I do that. And I can't do that if I don't have a, a vital body. I need to feel strong and healthy. And one of the most spiritual tasks I can undertake is to take care of my vessel. I see that as absolutely paramount to being a teacher, being a seeker. And I take the responsibility of being a bodhisattva very seriously, right? I'm here not just to wake up myself. I'm here to help other people wake up. And if we were all to embrace that idea of we're all teachers and we are all students, it would be a different dynamic completely. I have goosebumps from that. That's so true. It's so true. And the idea that we're both of those things at the same time and serving and learning and serving and thriving and learning and growing and serving and teaching. It's just this beautiful ebb and flow. So when does motherhood come into play with all of this? He's, so my son is the most sacred undertaking of my life. I think I kept, I kept seeing teaching spirituality, not as a primary focus, but as a secondary focus of whatever undertaking I'm going to be doing professionally will have a spiritual aspect, right? Again, there was the resistance to, my mother's a spiritual teacher. I can't do it the way she does it, but I'm not sure I can do it at all because I've seen the toll it takes on her. And I'm not sure that I will ever be able to take care of my body enough to feel like I can do this. And there was also a part of me that really doubted my ability to be nurturing. Because my mom was not your conventional mother, right? She left when I was nine to pursue her spiritual awakening and very much in the same vein as Siddhartha. And so I was primarily raised by my dad and I, I didn't really believe that I was especially maternal. Um, I doubted it a lot. And I think in part because I became a surrogate mother to my younger brother after my mom left, I was, um, I was sort of tasked with that because my dad worked long hours and traveled a lot on business. So there really was no one else. I stepped into a responsible role much earlier than I should have. And I guess I felt as though I'd given up some of my childhood as a result. And in a way, I felt like I'd been a mother and 
I don't feel I don't feel like I did such a bang up job. My brother has certainly forgiven me and and we are close, but I didn't think that I could be a parent in the way that I would want to be a parent. I really doubted myself. And the universe had other plans. <laughs> I had decided that I would take the spiritual, everything I knew about spirituality, everything I knew about spiritual teaching, and I would apply it to conflict resolution. I decided I wanted to get into mediation and, and work on things like peace in the Middle East and that kind of thing. I thought it would be, be better if I could apply what I knew in that context. And so I was in a PhD program for transformative learning and learning all about Jungian psychology and the ego. And, and I, my primary focus was the ego because I wanted to be able to bring an understanding of egoic consciousness into mediation. And I was in my final semester of coursework and I got pregnant. Surprise! <laughs> Um, and everything changed. I, I could not believe that I was going to have a baby, but I was also in my mid thirties. And at that point I was pretty well experienced in life. I'd had a couple of careers. I'd had a lot of education and I thought, well, I can do this. I can figure this out. And I take the lessons of my parents, even the inadvertent lessons, and I apply them here and I, I can figure this out. So I embarked on motherhood alone because his father and I were not together. And I thought, I don't know what you're doing. You're trying to finish a PhD and raising a child on your own and you've lost your mind. But the moment that child was born, oh my gosh, you just can't love anything as much as that. And I could not imagine anything that I could ever do with my life being more important than being responsible for empowering him, empowering this soul who had entrusted me with his guardianship, right? I am now responsible for making sure that this soul gets to actualize whatever gifts it's here for. And I took it very seriously. I still take it very seriously. It's, it is the most important undertaking of my life. But I decided at that point to read everything I could on conscious parenting. And I started with the continuum concept and I got a lot out of Leadloff's book. I think everyone should read that book. And he just was a little miracle, just a little bundle of love that just opened up my heart every possible moment that he could. But what he taught me that I thought were such valuable lessons towards spirituality was surrender first and foremost. There's so little you can control in motherhood, right? You can control your reactions and that's about it. He taught me to be patient. He taught me to be patient in a way that I was never patient before. Exponentially patient every single day. Um, he, he's taught me the value of softening, right? All the hard edges, all the aggression, it doesn't, it doesn't, we don't need it. It's not necessary. You know, the heart is soft, it's vulnerable. And in that softness and vulnerability is our real power, right? We can survive anything. We can, why don't we don't believe that we can, but children teach us that it's all about joy and it's all about wonder and curiosity and passion 
And they take most things in stride. If it doesn't work out, you know, they get up, they dust themselves off and they, you know, move on to the next thing. Did his birth and becoming a mother, did it help remove any of that resistance you had against your spiritual practice and maybe the things that you were still kind of had resistance or friction towards? In every possible way. So first it started with the reality that I was not going to be some crazy famous mediator. I wasn't going to be moving to New York City and having this dashing life where I was going to fly off to various places and maybe help solve various political crises and that kind of thing. I needed to find a way to stay exactly where I was and cook dinner every night for this kid. I was going to sit down at the dining room table. I was going to have a conversation with him every single day. We, I ask him the same thing at the beginning of every meal, which is what was the best part of your day and what do you feel grateful about? And I wanted to be able to do that for him. So that meant that I had to completely rearrange my career. It meant that I needed to do something that I could do from home and I could reach a lot of people, but it wasn't so much, uh, well, now I have to adjust my career. It was more, uh, now I really want to adjust my career. Now I understand. Now I understand that everything that this little boy is here for is what the whole world is here for. Everything about being open-hearted and joyful and playful, all of this, this is what it is. This is what this human task is. Here is spirit in this little body. And I wanted to change it. I wanted to change it all for him. And the realizations that I had just showed me working with him, having conversations with him, playing with him. That was a big thing for me. I had to learn to play. I'd given up playing so early in my own childhood that I wasn't very good at it. And I had to kind of abandon my reservations and get down on the floor with him and roll around and get dirty. And I thought, you know what? I'm actually good at this. I'm actually good at this and I like it. And I, I'm prepared to get down and dirty with clients, right? How do we get into the muck of your life and clean it up? I'm good at this. We can do this together. And so more and more, I saw that I could apply my education, my upbringing, my parents' wisdom to motherhood and by extension to teaching. I love what you said about play because I think that's so important. And I was just reading a book recently where I think it said the moment we start to die is the moment that we give up play and fun. And it's just so true. And having a one-year-old now who's walking and running around and thinks it's funny when you fall over. It's just being present in the, in that ability to have fun and be silly and play is just something we forget is just such a gift. Well, how do we carry our playfulness and our curiosity and our surrender into responsibility, into mindful living, right? How do we become conscientious human beings and members of our community. Children teach us a lot about that. They really do. They don't have reservations. I used to watch my son walk up to a child on the playground and say, hi, 
I'm Benj, you know, and the next thing you know, they're the best of friends and they're the best of friends for an hour and they have a great time. And neither of them feels like, oh, I need to make sure I have your number or, you know, maybe it's awkward. There's no awkwardness there. And it was so cute. I could leave the park with him and he'd say, you know, my new friend, Miles or Sam, and it's his new friend. And it's, it's so cute. And then he, he wouldn't worry that he wasn't going to see that friend again. It was a moment, a momentary experience that he relished. And then it was over. Nothing, nothing lost, no resentment, no, no need to feel attached. He could move on. And then it would be great if he'd have a chance to see that child at the park again one day and they pick up where they left off, like the best of friends reunited, right? And I love that because it really teaches us about how can you be mindful in the moment? How can you be in the flow? Do, you don't have to grasp. There's no need to, to constantly feel this attachment all the time. That's not to say there isn't value in finding long-term friendships and, and that kind of thing, but can you bring that same kind of awareness to everything that you do in your life? I think it's something that is just so entirely simple, yet we put so much pressure on ourselves that we have to have these big, big spiritual awakenings or sit on our meditation cushion and just surrender and wait for all the answers to come to us. But really, I think the more women I talk to and the more I go on this journey and the more I learn, it's just it all always comes back to that present moment. Well, I think we just live into the answers, right? The grasping is, is the need for certainty is where we constantly get tripped up. Mm-hmm. And I cannot think of a time where I have needed to just live into the answers more than I am right now. I, I, the thing that my son and I were discussing just this morning was we just don't know. We don't have answers right now about so many things in, in life. But this is a real lesson collectively for everyone. We cannot continue to grasp. We cannot continue to, to function with such, such certainty all the time because our certainty means that we are trying to exert control over aspects of life that we don't have any control over, right? Most especially Mother Nature. If there's anything that knows how to do its job that we should stop trying to control, it's Mother Nature. Yeah. Mother nature, motherhood, no control ever. No. And I, I know for the first year or two of my son's life, I felt like I had been thrown into absolute disarray. Like the rug had been pulled out from under me. I had had to work pretty hard in the years leading up to my son's birth to maintain some balance in my life, right? I was working to put myself through school I was trying to maintain a yoga practice. I was going to school and then I had a baby and I thought, oh, I don't know how to fit. I don't know. I don't know how to fit everything into my life. I, he did not sleep through the night for 13 and a half months. I never slept. I was just a deprived lunatic all the time and constantly trying to get a, a toehold trying to get some balance back in my life. I felt like I was succeeding. I was a total rock star navigating all the demands of my life before he was born. And then he was born and it was like, whoa, 
everything just exploded. I have no idea how to, how to do this. I just don't, I don't know how to do this. And every day that I didn't know how to do it was like, well, I'm just going to take this moment, get through this one, and then I'll get to the next moment and I'll get through that one. There was no way that I could exert any kind of control. I mean, talk about busting your ego. I just had to go. I had to just go with it. I'm like, okay, well, I just don't know how to do this. And it took a long time to feel, it was a year before I could go back to the yoga studio and go back to my regular practice. And everything was incremental. But I see it now, I look back on it now and I, I think, but that's, for a mother, the rate of change is so accelerated that we learn to adjust on the fly, right? We learn that the only way to have any kind of balance is to understand that having balance is an on-the-fly job. You're doing it constantly. You're figuring it out from moment to moment. And I think that that is wisdom that is absolutely apropos for this moment in history because we are so inundated with information and the rate of change is so accelerated for everyone. You don't have to be a parent. It's for everyone now that I don't know how anyone maintains balance. What is that? It seems like such a misnomer. We don't maintain balance. We adjust regularly. And I think the more we can surrender and make peace with the fact that life now requires constant adjustment, we're going to be happier, right? We're going to be happier if we can just go, yeah, I'm at peace with the fact that how I navigate life now requires creativity. It's constant adjustment. And I can speak to that too. I would say in terms of creativity, for any of us to get really creative about the way that we live, to live creatively is to embrace our spirituality, right? Because creativity comes through us. It's a, it comes from spirit. So the only way that we are going to get smarter about the ways we are smart in facing our future as a species is going to be creative living. And we can only do that when we allow spirit into our lives. That's so true. My best ideas have come from just going with the flow, being present in the moment and play. Yesterday I was going for a walk and this rock fell on my foot and I picked it up and it was like, it was almost very crystal. Like it's like, okay. And so I just took a walk with it and I had all these really, I'm working on a book right now and it, it, all these great ideas came to me. And I'm like, I don't think if I would have been truly just in my head about whatever I was thinking about at that time, that I would have had that space yeah. to, to think that that was just such a cute little thing that a rock fell on my foot and then kind of lead me down this completely alternative rabbit hole that led me to just be in this creative mode. And it's so true that we really have to surrender and tap inward to find that flow and that connection with the universe and our connection to spirit and our connection as a whole and a collective. Yes. It sounds like your walk became a moving meditation. <laughs> it did. Oh, it did. So my mom is a huge proponent of walking meditations. And that during this quarantine, there was actually a period when it was freezing outside and didn't go because we live close. So like once you go up the hill, it's just like 
unbearable. But <laughs> recently I've been walking a lot more and it really is. I just use it. It's like my contemplation time. Uh, and then I just have Moana songs stuck in my head. So I just sing them to myself <laughs> as I walk. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> I used to use my morning, my morning hike with the dog very much as a moving meditation for the sole reason that I was trying to come up with things to write, creative things to write especially when I was in school and I'd have a paper and I would just kind of put it out to the universe. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to struggle for a topic or the direction this work needs to go. I'm going to allow you to show me what I need to say. And I find that if, if you open up that way, you, you get what you need. So tell me what is on your spiritual bucket list? Is there anything you still want to learn you want to do? Gosh, I've been on this journey for a long time. I mean, I made my first spiritual commitment when I was 15 and I am now 48. So I've been at it a long time and I've had, I cannot tell you how many extraordinary peak experiences, how lucky I feel, how incredibly blessed I feel. And I come back to, there can't possibly be more. How could there possibly be more? And then I'm reminded that there's always more. There's always something that comes up, be it how best do I approach our current pandemic and still be a conscious mother? How best can I approach my clients during this time and give them what they need? That to me is the next frontier for me spiritually, moving increasingly deeper into my awareness. And so if there's anything on my spiritual bucket list, it would be to be shown everything that's possible in my human lifetime. That's what I would want. That more than anything is what I would want. If this is not the end all be all, I would like to see what it is because yeah, I just, I get up every day excited for my day, even in the midst of a pandemic. It's always a gift. It's always beautiful. There's always joy and there's always more. There's always more, but otherwise, no, I don't have anything. I can think of a few things. Maybe I'd love to meet Jean Houston. That's pretty much at the top of my list. I, I would love to sit down with her and have a conversation with her. She's been such, she's been such an inspiration. So probably my bucket list would be a dinner party with some of my favorite spiritual teachers, the ones that are still alive, you know, if I could have anything. Yeah. But I feel pretty, pretty lucky. I mean, I could, I could die tomorrow feeling pretty content. <laughs> That's a wonderful answer. And no one said a dinner party yet. So I love that answer. Yeah, that would be fun. I would have to really think about who else I would like to be there. Maybe Pema Chodron and, and the Dalai Lama. And I could, you know, they would be spiritual people, but I'd want to throw a few sort of wise comedians into the mix or just to kind of stir the pot and make it interesting. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. You need, variety is definitely key. <laughs> it is. And I think it would be wise spiritual teachers, maybe from different traditions, right? Mm -hmm. Machadran is a, a Buddhist and well, Jean Houston is sort of the 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 mother of the personal de human development personal development field 
So, yeah. Yeah, I think there are a lot of amazing people out there and I'd love to be able to have the time to pick their brain. Well, it's been such a pleasure having you on this podcast. Well, thank you so much for asking me. It's it really is a treat. I I don't get to talk about my own my own past that much. So, it's well, fun. I, I know a lot of people will be able to resonate with it and just I was just you can't see the video, but I was just nodding and smiling the whole time. Like, yes, 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 yes. But I like to end this podcast with wise words for anyone listening who needs that extra encouragement today to step into their highest self. So what are your wise words to end on? There is nothing that you will ever be challenged with that you are not capable of handling. It's very true. We underestimate ourselves all the time and we allow our ego to get in the way and and tell us that we can't do it. But our hearts hold all things to be possible. And I believe that the challenges that cross our paths are put there precisely because we can handle them. They show us what we're made of. Thank you for listening to Enlightenhood. For more wisdom from spiritual mamas like you in the form of guided meditations, videos, articles, masterclasses, and more, check us out at enlightenhood.com or connect with us on Instagram at enlightenhood. If you need a tribe of like-minded women to dive into personal and spiritual development with, check out our monthly membership where we show up, go inward and upward together. Enroll today at enlightenhood.com backslash membership for less than the cost of a yoga class. Until next time, you mindful mamas. Thank you.